He does get Batman voice towards the end. He gets mad and he's like, I'm going to... <laughs> does he say swear to me? No, he does not say swear to me. <laughs> Failed opportunity there. That would have been great. Yeah, His... it's, it's a horror movie, so he says scare to me. But, um... Uh... Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we're feeling it. If this is your first time joining us. Welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. Hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to Feeling It. So happy to have you all back with us today. Um, this is a show where we talk about the things we've been feeling and then go in-depth on one piece of pop culture that is really sticking in our heads. This week, we will be talking about the new Stephen King-adapted ad- film, It. So, as we introduce ourselves, uh, let's go around, say who you are, what you do, where you're from, and what movie scared you as a kid, even though it wasn't supposed to. I'm Lucas Wright, a designer in the Bay Area, and Jumanji terrified me so much. Yeah. Not a scary movie. That's a good one. But that is way up there on movies that... Uh, Still weird me out a little bit, so. (laughs) I'm Sandra Omstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm going to cheat a little bit, Lawson. This isn't a movie. It's a book, but it was a book that my mother read to me as a child. Um, When I was a kid, my mom started to read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and um, once she got to Mr. Tumnus, um, I was so terrified of the idea of a half man half goat (laughs) being that i was like no why are you reading me this horror story we will never continue this and so i've never read any of the chronicles of narnia because of that experience oh man it gets worse from there mcavoy flipped the script and made it you know he definitely helps he definitely helps (laughs) all right well who is that new voice my name is Chris Jardu. I'm a copywriter in Nashville, Tennessee. Scariest uh, movie that I saw that wasn't a scary or a horror film. Um, it not the whole movie, but the the Legend of the Beast sequence in the Sandlot was mm. horrifying to me. Where they it it went black and white, and it was an old time story retelling. There was a scene in it particularly where the, the, the enormous dog that you haven't seen yet is in this trailer just shaking it. And I remember they throw a rack of ribs into <laughs> it. It's like from a cow or something, and it spits yeah. out this huge bone. Horrifying. And um, <laughs> I saw it recently. Not horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Scary at the time. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Those things that like are comically over-exaggerated so that it would be like scary through the eyes of a kid, but as an adult, you're like, oh man, that's so ridiculous. When you're a kid watching that, it's still horrifying. Oh man. Um, well, yes, I am Lawson Soward, and I'm an art director, also from Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm so glad you're here, Chris. Thank you Thank for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, um, the movie that scared me as a kid um, was Lost in Space. Um, I don't know if very many people even remember this movie. It Matt had, LeBlanc. Yeah, Matt LeBlanc, one of his... My man Joey. Yeah, Joey in one of his uh, rare ventures into feature film, um, as well as Gary Oldman and Jeff Daniels, um, and really bad CGI. But there's a scene in that movie where 
uh, Gary Oldman gets bitten by a spider, and then uh, they go in some kind of time warp and go into the future, and his spider bite has turned him into a human-spider hybrid with a very long neck that um, first walks into the scene wearing a dark black cloak. And uh, it was so scary I couldn't sleep for, like, two years. And I think I saw that when I was 11. Like, I was old enough to where it shouldn't have freaked me out that much, but it really, (laughs) really did. And I went back and watched it again recently because it was on Netflix, and the CG is so bad that I'm amazed I even, like, any part of me thought it could have been real. It was just really, it was like worse than PlayStation graphics. So anyway, that was really helpful in finally getting over that. That's awesome. So Chris, so thankful you're here with us today. Um, Chris is here because, uh, well, he and I, A, of all, he and I have been friends for some time now. Um, B, of all, has been a great influence on my pop culture taste and has a lot of great things to say. And C, of all, we are reviewing It today, and he has read the entire It book. Um, the whole thing. The whole thing. <laughs> Didn't skip a single page. No. And uh, for those who don't know, It Long. Uh, <laughs> That's the blurb on the front. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, and also, Chris is one of the only friends I have in the whole world who I can watch horror movies with. Um, Lindsay hates horror movies. Uh, the other hosts of this podcast hate horror movies. So uh, Chris and I are going to be talking from experience, having seen the It movie, and uh, Lucas and Sandra will be uh, entering into that portion of our discussion today, having very intentionally not seen it. So yeah. uh, people, I'm sure people cannot wait to hear me have opinions on something that I haven't seen. So it's going to be great. <laughs> you did Meanwhile, it with Suicide Squad. I, I as it. usual, will be asking lots of questions. <laughs> That's what I'm most excited for Chris being here for. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, let's get right into it, guys. Uh, let's talk about what we're feeling this week. Lucas, do you want to kick us off? I do want to kick us off. Guys, I rewatched Stranger Things. My wife had not seen it, and so we're getting close to season two, and so I was like, all right, let's sit down. So last night at like 6 p.m., we started Stranger Things, and we did not stop at all. Whoa, we went straight whoa. through... So I did not get a lot of sleep last night, but <laughs> it it that was a show I think that we all loved originally. But getting to I guess, re reimmerse in that world um, was awesome. This I feel like this show got dinged pretty hard on being just a bunch of like '80s tributes and cliches. Uh, but I think this show takes all of those things that on the surface seem very cookie cutter and really dives deep in them. We get eight hours with character archetypes that we're used to only hanging out with for 90 minutes or so. Um, so really, I just want, I don't want to get into spoilers or anything like that for the few people who have not seen this show, but I got to say, guys, you have to watch it. Uh, Chris, you're the only one here who I don't know. Have you seen stranger things? I have. Okay, good. Loved it. It's, it's so good. And I would encourage everybody to do, Take a second look at it. Do do a round two if you've already watched it. But Hopper, the chief of police, he's this grizzled, cynical detective with a dead daughter. And by the end of episode one, he's out of control in this missing child's case, which is hitting too close to home. And that's I, I feel like like rewatching it, knowing kind of where this show is going and getting to watch him as he kind of goes on this journey is insane. You've got people like Nancy and Joyce, who I realized I didn't like at the beginning of this show, and I have to learn to love them over the course of those eight episodes. Well, while people like Steve 
almost unwillingly and unconsciously end up cheering for <laughs> at the final episode. Um, everyone in here, I think, gets to face their inner demons, which is something that you don't see a lot in a TV show. You have peripheral characters and everything like that, but all of the eight main, main characters really have to go through this journey and kind of come out on top at the end, which is something more of a miniseries thing that, that, but I'm really curious to see how they take it into season two. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I mean, I am stoked that it's about to be fall and I did enjoy walking into target to all new $1 items, but, uh, <laughs> which is what you have to do in Tennessee to pretend that it's fall. Um, but once October hits, all the trees are amazing and it's great. And we're, we're here, we're in September. We're on our way to October and this, uh, comes out in, on Halloween, right? Is season two on Netflix? Full season two available Friday, October 27th. Okay, that's very interesting because this whole time I was thinking it was actually Halloween day and I was mm. really bummed about that because no, 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 no. one, we're going to be busy on Halloween. We're going to be out partying. And then two, um, you want to like have some spooky buildup to how yeah. the actual day of Halloween. Yep. Okay, well, this no, is, I'm, be, I'm really no. pleased to hear this. That's much better. Uh, I'm so excited. I'm so ready for it to come around. And I hadn't even thought about rewatching it, but there's so much you could get from that. Thank you yep. so much, Lucas. Yeah. All right. Sandra, what are you feeling this week? This week, I've been catching up on episodes of the current season of MasterChef. Have any of y'all ever watched MasterChef? Yes. Did Big you, fan. Do you like it? Did, are you watching the current I, season? I'm not watching the current season. Okay. I have watched past seasons. But yeah. Um, it's not a show that I like religiously watch. It's just if if I see, you know, a season's out, I'll jump in if I haven't already seen it. That's it's a, one of the few food reality shows are the reality shows that I love. <laughs> yeah, this one is MasterChef is probably the most accessible of all of the food reality mm -hmm. shows um, because the basic premise of it is home cooks are competing to be a master chef, to become a master chef. So all of these people are amateurs. This is not a competition for people who have made cooking their profession. Um, and that means that they're, they do a lot of learning on this show, which is fun as an audience member, because I am not a really, I don't really cook very much. So I do a lot of learning while I watch this show. Um, and they usually have a pretty, um, unique cast of characters on MasterChef. They, I, I really believe they're, um, really casting for personality in a way a lot of other cooking shows aren't, um, which has its pros and cons to it. But I tend to have a lot of fun with it for that reason. Um, this season has been um, really fun to watch. I actually think it's been kind of a weaker season compared to other seasons that I've seen. Um, but one of the reasons I'm feeling it this week is because tomorrow night is the finale. And um, I'm about to spoil this season of MasterChef, if that's okay with you three. Um, Go for it. Cool. And just a heads up to all of our listeners. Um, one of my favorite contestants, my a contestant that's been my favorite from the very beginning, made it into the finale. And um, I'm actually quite surprised that he made it into the finale. Um, but it's very exciting for me nonetheless. His name is Dino. And... Dino is unlike anyone I've ever seen on one of these, like, cooking shows. He is a ballet dancer. He self-identifies as, like, an androgynous person. He's Italian and then I think also Asian. Um, and he has this thick, 
thick Staten Island accent. Um, he's covered in tattoos. He, whenever he's cooking, he kind of like prances around as he does it. And he calls people out on um, their attitudes and he makes fun of people. And he set, he has a he says baby doll all the time as kind of his catchphrase for when he's excited about something. I'm obsessed with Dino. I want to watch a whole TV show that's just Dino. And the fact that he's made it into um, the finale is just quite a joy for me. Um, I also want to talk about another contestant that I've really grown to love this season. His name is Gabriel. And I always root for usually the youngest contestant in MasterChef um, because oftentimes it's a 18 to 20 year old that is incredibly skilled for their age and they usually make it pretty far in the competition, but they almost never make it to the finale. Um, that's the same case, the same situation with Gabriel. Gabriel, you can tell, is just so smart, so talented, so cool headed, great attitude. Um, but he's very young, he's like 19 years old, and um. When he left the show this season, uh, it was so heartbreaking because I really thought of all the young contestants, he was going to be the one to make it to the end. And um, his leaving ended up being this incredible moment because uh, Gordon Ramsay offered to pay his entire tuition for culinary school. And another oh, wow. judge offered to said, as soon as you graduate from culinary school, I'm going to hire you on the spot. So really set up the future for this kid in a beautiful way um and it's things like that on MasterChef that keep me coming back there's a lot of heartwarming moments um it's a reality tv show that um gets me very emotional in a great way so I'm enjoying this season tomorrow night's the finale I'm excited about it that's awesome I have always assumed MasterChef was a lot more cutthroat than that and hearing no okay uh, I would say, so Gordon Ramsay is known as sort of like the cutthroat judge in the cooking world. He's like willing to like really yell at you and um, insult your cooking. Um, he's much more like that on his other shows. Um, and he has moments like that on MasterChef. But it's not constant. And he often has a lot of moments where he's really... Um, comforting people and cheering people on. And so when you get reamed out by Gordon, you probably really deserve it on MasterChef at least. Um, All right. So I, I have a good time with that. True. I wouldn't go in expecting the Great British Bake Off. Though, no, so. no, 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 no. Oh, yeah. There's definitely that. more yeah. like um, little rivalries between contestants. People get into fights because there's a lot of team challenges where people get they're you know, get upset and angry. Um, so it definitely is like a typical reality show in that sense, but that's also why I love it. How many soggy bottoms per episode, like on average? You lost me on that reference. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Great British Bake Off reference. Um, little underdone, but I oh, I shouldn't have gone for that one either. Jeez. Okay, Chris. Wow. Chris, what are you feeling this week, my friend? Uh, this <laughs> week and uh, for the past few weeks, actually, but I haven't been on the podcast, so it's that's fair game. Um, I've been feeling in a comic series that's ongoing currently called paper girls and it's by writer brian k vaughn artist cliff chang and colorist matt wilson brian k vaughn one of my favorite writers out there he's written things like why the last man 
which has kind of been adaptation. Yeah, why is incredible. Yeah, it's yeah. been in um, adaptation limbo for a while, I think. But yeah, it's been like about to be developed like eight different times. Right. He's he all, he is also the writer on a series called Saga, which uh, I could have easily have slid that in here for feeling it, but. Um, Paper Girls, I'll kind of tell you where it starts, um, which won't give anything away, but it starts with a group of young girls who are delivering newspapers in the 1980s. And the story starts on Halloween night. So amongst the Freddy Kruegers out there and the werewolves, um, they start to see some weird things. Some folks speaking odd languages that aren't necessarily other countries and some oddly colored storms approaching and then one of the girls finds a really interesting piece of tech that wasn't around in the 80s and the story kind of takes off from there brian k vaughn's writing is always emotional and funny and he really knows how to hammer home a, a gut punch of a twist he actually wrote on the series lost for a while oh wow so if anybody knows how to write a twist, it's Brian K. Vaughn. And Chang and Wilson combine for just beautiful art. That The, the covers, <laughs> I almost said that the covers of this series are like a work of art, which of course they are, but they are, <laughs> they are covers that I would want to hang up on my wall. The, the actual colors are two or three colors per cover, which is really effective, and they're pastel colors. It really immediately makes you think 80s. 1980s and gets you into the story so it's also a really good uh paper girls is a really good series to read or to start reading comics with it's it's pretty accessible it's fun it's pretty lighthearted, um and it's got female protagonists which is uh becoming more and more the norm in comics which is great that's awesome i like uh there have been several times whenever we've been talking about comic books or comic book related things and I'm like, I wish Chris was here to give input on it. Um, and this is one I've never heard of, but based on that, that sounds like really great. So when you're done, if I could borrow <laughs> them. Yeah, this is actually <laughs> the only series that I've bought single issues for. Okay, um, cool. It's still ever. going single issue. Oh, yeah. Wow, yeah. And then I've gotten a few of them, a few of the trades collected in paperback from the library. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I've never read them, Chris, but I have seen the artwork, and the artwork is so up my alley. I'm not a comic yeah. book reader, but I love the color choices and the covers that I've seen. Um, I'm I really am digging it. I figured you would. It's the, you being on the podcast was part of the reason to bring that one up instead of uh, <laughs> this other one that's currently ongoing. Yeah, I, I would recommend people just Google image search Paper Girls just to see like all the covers that come up because. If that alone, I think, for would sure. get people very excited for it. Awesome. awesome. Thanks so much, man. Um, what I am feeling this week uh, has a lot less thought behind it than that recommendation, but it's been something bringing me so much joy. Um, it is the new Snapchat augmented reality uh, 3D Bitmoji filters, just to give that the longest title I possibly can. <laughs> um, have you guys uh, noticed this while messing with Snapchat? Have you played with these? I haven't played with them, but I think I saw my first one today from a snap from Chris. So that was my first taste of them. I would love to take credit uh, for being the first one in the group, but I actually found out about it today or yesterday from a snap from Lawson. <laughs> there you go, Lawson. Tell us more about it. Setting trends left and right. Okay, so uh, <laughs> it is um, 
I, I figure you guys are familiar with the uh, dancing hot dog. Yes. The break love dancing, the dancing hot, dog. hot dog. Nobody doesn't love the break dancing hot dog. It. Uh, I mean, I don't want to speak up there, but. <laughs> yeah, I would appreciate it. Our if resident grump is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> ready yeah. to I, voice dissent. Yeah. I. You know what? I think I sent dancing hot dog snaps to like some of my closest friends and uh, never got a response from Lucas. So this is all starting to come together. Well, part uh, of it is I don't know how, but <laughs> there's that. Um, well, yeah, it's so it's the same basic gist. Like before, there was the break dancing hot dog, and you could tap him, move it around, make it bigger, smaller, whatever you want to do. Um, this really takes the next step in a way that is so fun. Um, I had gotten rid of Bitmojis for a while. Um, I got them before they were integrated with Snapchat and thought they were fun for a hot sec, and then I was tired of having like 18 different keyboards, and so I just got rid of it. So I re-logged in um, recently for this, and uh, it's so cool. It puts a 3D, instead of a hot dog wearing headphones, it's a 3D rendering of your Bitmoji avatar in all these different situations, and it changes daily. Um, so there's... Uh, you can put yourself on a little on a shelf drinking coffee, and uh, after the after your Bitmoji drinks coffee, they start levitating because they're so caffeinated. You can have your Bitmoji play uh, electric guitar, dance at a at a discotheque. the The possibilities are without limit, and um, it's so fun. It's so like to me half of the fun. Um, just to, you know, break down a joke, because that's the way to keep a joke funny. Um, the funniest part of the uh, breakdancing hot dog was having it happen over and over and over again, um, beyond the point at which it had been belabored. Um, and so this, I'm super thankful, takes a new turn on what is a, a really fun uh, execution and feature to be able to do something. To I had another friend of mine I saw... There was a, a water cooler one for uh, a minute where it was your Bitmoji going over and filling up a cup with water and uh, taking a sip. And uh, he was in the men's restroom and he put himself in the urinal. And like, so the water cooler was connected to the urinal. And uh, yes, that's pretty amateur stuff, but also it just illustrates how you can have all these new tools in all these different situations. And I just am so excited for how many memes are going to come out of it. So. It's a lot of fun. Um, if you don't know how to use it on Snapchat, you uh, use the facial map uh, filter by you know, having a selfie holding down on your face, and then you hit to flip the camera, and uh, you can start placing them around uh, the environment that you're in. So That's so much work. Uh, yes. It's, it's made so that grumpy people and adults like you can't use it easily. So, <laughs> um, but no, I, do you have a Bitmoji, Lucas? Of course I have a Bitmoji. What am I, 85? <laughs> I mean, based on your Snapchat comments, I wasn't sure. But uh, oh. oh. No, I'm kidding. I didn't want to get a Snapchat for so long because it felt like something that was exclusively for 14-year-olds. But now I love it. Um, but yeah, so you have a Bitmoji. You're fine. And it's just like two or three taps. I'm doing it now. It's not It's not difficult. Yeah. So, so I really feel like you're I take it. <laughs> From this combo, Lawson and Chris, y'all are both still pretty dedicated to Snapchat. As opposed to what? Instagram. Instagram stories. Oh, gosh. No, no. Instagram's terrible. <laughs> Snapchat. 
That's where it's at. Right, guys? <laughs> right, right, fellow kids? When Instagram can place a cartoon version of me spitting out coffee and levitating, then we'll talk. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I've i used Instagram stories a couple times, but Instagram is followed by, like, my aunt and uncle and uh, grandparents and stuff at this point, and I'm just... I don't share the same stuff that I share on Snapchat on Instagram. So What is he, 85? <laughs> Burn! He sure is. Oh, man. All right. Well, that was fun. Uh, we're... <laughs> Let's wrap it up. Let's call it a night. Let's call it a night. End of episode. Mm-hmm. Um. Dear friends, the next time the world's problems make you feel the blues. aren't so troubling when you see them in HD. The world's a little better on TV. So don't you... Um, so before we move on to, into our main topic, uh, talking about it tonight, wanted to touch a little bit on a big moment in our pop culture, uh, Zeke Geist, the Emmys, which took place this weekend uh, and was home to a lot of big news. So uh, I wanted to just ask generally... Do you guys have any overall impressions or thoughts about this? Now seems like a great time for me to go on a rant. Um, Into it. I was watching the Emmys. I had to leave the Emmys about an hour and a half in um, to help someone out with something. But So I did see the, the beginning of it. And when it first started, man, this happens with me all the time with award shows. They start with a musical number and I get so excited because the musical numbers that they start with are usually pretty good and entertaining. That was the same thing. Stephen Colbert, I was I was very into it. He starts his monologue, he takes a great dig at Bill Maher that I was very into. Um <laughs> and then Fucking Sean Spicer comes out. And mm-hmm. I know I'm preaching to the choir right here. I know that all of y'all feel the same way. Most of our listeners probably feel the same way. But I still have to say, shame on Stephen Colbert and shame on every single person involved with that decision to invite Sean Spicer to the Emmys. You don't get to lie to the country from the podium at the White House. You don't get to downplay Hitler as a villain in our history and um, claim he didn't use chemical weapons and call concentration camps Holocaust centers and you don't get to be associated with Donald Trump and then still get invited to the party. I think that is shameful and it left, it ruined I think the whole evening. It left a bad taste in a lot of viewers' mouth. I think it left a bad taste in the mouths of a lot of people attending the Emmys. Um, and it it was just the worst call to make. So that's my rant about that. Could not agree more. Sean Spicer does not get to be in on the joke. Yeah. Ugh. But as far as... Thank you. I've been <laughs> rehearsing it. Um, as far as the rest of the Emmys goes, and like I said, I didn't get to watch all of it because I had to leave early, but... I was very pleased with most of the winners. Um, And that is something that I don't always get to say about award shows. So that was exciting. When I look at, like, the list of winners from this year, uh, it makes me really happy about where TV is. Yeah, there was nobody that I was like, they definitely should not have won. Everyone was like, yep, that 
I, they deserve it. I mean, <laughs> there's probably other. There, sometimes there were other people that I might have been like rooting for more, but overall, I was very happy with the one all of that the winners. I would definitely have not given would be Alec Baldwin um, to be winning an award for a show he's not even technically on the cast on. Um, that one I wasn't as super excited about, but the rest of them, especially all the awards for Big Little Lies, which is probably one of my favorite shows of the year yes. so far. Yeah, um, definitely. That was really exciting. And I haven't watched The Handmaid's Tale, and now I'm kind of like, oh, I guess I really do need to watch The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> I know. I, I think I'll be able to watch Handmaid's Tale in uh, like 10 years. That's when yeah. I feel safe. Give me some time. <laughs> yeah. I could never have guessed that Hulu would have the sh- first show on streaming services to like sweep the Emmys like this. It, Handmaid's Tale, everyone who I've seen has watched it has said it's incredible, I am too intimidated by it, but like uh, Hulu is uh, upping its game, and kudos to them. I didn't see it coming. They pulled Best Drama before Netflix could, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very impressive. Uh, are there any other standouts to you guys that you were like really taken aback or really thrilled by? Um, I was also I was very very excited um, that Aziz Ansari and Lena Waite lo- uh, won for the Thanksgiving episode of Master of None. Um, that Indeed. was just such a standout episode in a show I really love and for their writing to get awarded for that, um, because it is such a special, beautifully told story, um, was just, I think the highlight of all the wins for me. Yeah. I would say I wish that the crown had walked away with more awards, mm. um, especially Claire Foy, but what can you do? You're up against big little eyes. So yeah. yeah. Lucas, I've decided I'm going to watch the crown. I can't yes. tell you when that's going to be, um, <laughs> yeah. but I am going to do it. Oh, man. We should oh. all talk about it when you do, because I yes. love that show. Okay. Yes. Season two. Season two is coming. That's really what got me excited. I, that season two trailer got me yeah. into it. Yeah. Man. Yeah, it's going to be so shit. good. Ugh. <laughs> yes, I agree, Sandra. That I'm so glad they went for writing for that. That was probably my favorite hour of television, potentially ever, definitely this year. Um, I was... As always, super excited to see Donald Glover winning awards and um, talking about more collaborations with uh, Chance the Rapper. So that was just everything associated with Donald Glover always makes me so happy. Um, and yeah, I was I concur with you guys. It was a great show with one very bad decision that soured it. But like at the end of the day, the awards that happened, it was uh, just like a really good night and reflective of. Us being in a really great time for TV. Boo, if you'll come with me, you'll float too. 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 What did you think of the movie It? On its on its own merits, and then we can talk about it like compared to the book. For sure. If that's okay. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, I loved it. It was a blast. It was fun which is interesting to say about a scary movie, but that's one of the things I loved about it was that, uh, and this is getting into adaptation territory, but they nailed the tone of it to just shift from comedy to horror. You're laughing one second and biting your nails the next. It was, it was a delight and such a great theater movie. Yeah. I also will say this is the first movie I've ever used uh, movie pass on. And that was a super pleasant experience, just for any listeners out there who are still on the fence. Um, One thing I didn't think about was 
a lot of places have those uh, credit card kiosks inside, so you can just walk right past the box office line, swipe your movie pass card, and you're good to go. And that's what we did. We were in a theater that had uh, big, cushy leather reclining seats, and this is a long movie, so I was really glad that we were in that spot. Um, but that was a great experience. And uh, I agree. I have not uh, read the book, so I don't know how the tone is in that, but the tone in this was really, uh, it seemed like a difficult, I think because I've grown up, seeing scary clowns as kind of an archetype, like that's been kind of a horror trope for so long, mm -hmm. I assumed that it, the movie that kind of started that all, or was the quintessential scary clown movie, would have, would feel like a pretty standard horror movie. And what surprised me about this movie was that it had uh, a ton of heart, that the town that this is set in is has a very distinct feeling that isn't just like your standard small town where something crazy happens to occur. Um, there were a lot of uh, allusions to uh, not only just like there being a big bad creature, but it being part of a larger uh, story and a part of, part of a, a grander mythology. Um, and all of those were not things that I expected, but things that they kind of t tastefully put in there, tactfully put in there in a way that wasn't distracting because the whole thing still ultimately felt super grounded by um, the characters and by especially the young kids. The young kids did an incredible job. Lucas, it's super appropriate that you were watching Stranger Things because they share some really key casting with this movie. And I also think some of the tone for this film is similar to a Stranger Things uh how Stranger Things was. And I don't think that's any coincidence. I mean, Stranger Things was definitely influenced by Stephen King's writing and adaptations. But uh, it was just like a really fun and enjoyable movie. Um, some real scares for sure. But it honestly was not as scary as I expected it to be based on that trailer. Because that trailer was one of the scariest things I've ever seen in my entire life. And this movie was not as scary as those two and a half minutes. Um... But, yeah, it's just really good. I couldn't believe how many... This movie made more money than uh, Spider-Man Homecoming and its opening weekend. Like, it's doing really, really incredible, and uh, it's already greenlit for a sequel. So, uh, it was... I After seeing this movie, I really see where all that came from. Um, so, I wanted to ask Lucas and Sandra, what is keeping you from this movie um, other than it being horror movie or is that the only thing and do other elements of this movie seem appealing uh it seems pretty damn terrifying so that's why i'm not watching it. <laughs> that's that's pretty much the same thing for me it looks just way too scary um okay. i can handle a certain level of being scared and for me also if i'm gonna watch a scary movie something about the plot or what I've heard of it has to be especially appealing. So for instance, like get out, um, the story of it and the talent involved was really intriguing for me so that I was like, I don't even care for that. It's a horror film. I want to go see it. Um, mm -hmm. There is a movie, you know, there's the movie it follows. I haven't seen that yet, but the plot of that is so compelling that I do want to give that a try. Um, yeah. The Babadook. Yeah, I haven't seen I it. I haven't seen the Babadook. Read the Wikipedia page. <laughs> but that's one that I would consider watching again because I've heard about like how good it is. Um, so again, there has to be something 
about it that really draws me in to push me past my fear of being scared. Um, and I don't think this movie, even though I'm hearing it's really great, um, has enough to really draw me in. Honestly, the only thing that like really compels me about this movie is that I love the makeup of the clown. And I don't know if that's a good enough reason. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Probably not. Um, yeah, the one thing that draws me in is the fact that it is a lot like Stranger Things, I think. And just how much I love that um, makes me want to, I guess, hopefully continue that feeling in a movie like this. But the only way I'd see this is if somebody said, yeah, it's not scary, which is, would be a lie. Yeah, I will <laughs> yeah. also say, and we can maybe talk about this more in spoilers, but um, I heard some pretty harsh critiques of this mo- movie um, focused on the treatment of like the single female character that d- definitely made me not want to go see it. I have questions about that in spoilers. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm interested to talk about that. Yeah. In spoilers. The, um, you know, to hit on the, what, what would be compelling to see this? It really is the kids. Yeah. And that's what, that's what drove the book home as such a knockout mm-hmm. for me as well is these characters are so realized and from the get go, you understand, um, you know, they are sort of, there are archetypes, you know, you have the, the leader, you have the goofy one. Um, I'm blanking on all the other archetypes. Uh, you have the, the kid whose mom is, um, overprotective, uh, but they're a lot more layered than that and they are kids. And so everything was pretty believable from a, what's the motivation? What are the reactions? Even when it's the, no, don't go in there type of feeling. You're like, well, he is a 12 year old. Um, you know, <laughs> trying to help his friends or trying to be brave. And uh, the cast, the casting knocked it out of the park. The cast themselves knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. And the, they just played really well off of each other. And part of that's due to the script and the writing of the dialogue, which is always a tough thing, especially in horror movies. You don't always get great dialogue. But the delivery of the dialogue, these kids, much like Stranger Things, which has been referenced, is... It's like they've been hanging out for, they've known each other all their lives. It's that playful nature where, you know, they may cut each other off while they're talking, but it's it's very natural in the way that they talk good. to each other. I'm glad they have a good dynamic because I feel like with that many kids, it's very, it would be very difficult to kind of have that going on. Um, is it too many kids? There's a lot of kids. Okay, that's the thing I wanted to talk about because I, they kept every kid from the book. Is that right, Chris? They kept all the main characters, yeah. Okay, yeah. So all the main characters are there, and I feel like they they could have done less, but I'm glad that they didn't because it gave a real diversity into uh, experiences and into what scares you and into what these you know who these people are. Um, and I don't know. It just felt it felt more realistic that way to me. Like it felt like all of these kids came together. They're the the losers club or whatever, um, and they all came together for really different reasons, and they all it wasn't just like you're this one and you're that one like they all had um, unique personalities that I really bought into and I, I I liked that there were that many people so that they could all play off each other, and I think it was just like a bold a bold decision to do that and then make the movie long enough to where everyone could feel fleshed out. Well, this movie has made all the money in the world. Like 
insane amounts <laughs> yeah. um, for only being in the box office for two weeks. What do you think is the draw for that then? Is it just that it's August and September, or I guess it's, what is it, just September? I guess September is just, September is a terrible time to go to the <laughs> movies right now. It There's is, not a lot out or. It's such a beloved king. Like the source material is so beloved by many. And I yeah. know things are being greenlit left and right as far as king adaptations and the dark yeah. tower just bombed. Um, but the buzz, the early buzz about this movie was really positive. And like Lawson said, the trailer was horrifying yes. and seemed to, it, it was just compelling. And then it got the hard R rating, which mm-hmm. yeah, that's... you wouldn't have thought because of being a king adaptation and they want to make a lot of money off of it, but they, they stuck with the hard R and it, it earned every bit. Yeah, of it. I mean, they use it in this. The kids talk like they're actually, you know, twelve years old and just learned that if they swear, the police don't come and take them away. So they're like <laughs> uh, cussing all over the place and just like making dick jokes left and right and all the stuff that like twelve-year-old boys, whenever they're around. I mean, it's kind of painting with broad heteronormative strokes, but like especially maybe in the '80s in this kind of a small town, it's a pretty representative uh, of that dynamic. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's, I heard someone say it's the feel good horror movie of the <laughs> summer. And I think that that's accurate. Um, I think that there's, it's one of those movies where it feels like such a cultural touchdown. So many people remember Tim Curry's uh, playing Pennywise. Yeah. Did I use the wrong name there? Okay. No, that's it. Okay, yeah. yeah. So they remember it. They remember all that. And maybe a bunch of like, for me, I never watched that. I never watched the miniseries. And so I was like, because I heard it was scary and because it was dated, I was never interested in going back to watch it. But whenever it was being readapted and it was something that had always kind of been there in the background of my life, it was a great entry point for me. So I think there's some people who saw it when they were young and so they want to see the new one generationally. But I also think that there's people who, like me, had just always known about it and this was a chance to finally check it out. Um, So... Having said that, there are a few issues that I had with the movie that I think I can talk about before spoilers. Um, okay. Some of the kids in this, even though, as Chris said, they are like, they're 12 and they're being dumb. Like, there are some real uh, moments of, like, plot armor and of uh, people making decisions that don't make sense. And... Part of me wants to be charitable about that and just be like, people make decisions that don't make sense all the time. But uh, they, there are moments in this movie where they make discoveries and they find out where something scary uh, is or is going to happen. And they just, when they decide to confront it, they go in without any preparation. And that just like really threw me like, okay, so you're going to go into this, into the heart of danger with the shirt on your back and that's it? Like it was it, moments in the plot felt a little convoluted um, or felt a little, like, hard to buy. Um, the the actors did a really good job of selling everything in em- emotionally, but also one of the things that's so great about this movie is all these kids seem really smart. Like, part of them being the loser club is some of them are, you know, uh, very well-read or they're, like, you know, don't have friends, so they hang out at the library and that kind of thing. And so they're really well-equipped to be people who are thinking all of their actions through, um, and they come up with really elaborate plans that are really impressive. And so there are some moments in this where it's like, e- I think your character is smarter than how they wrote you um, in that moment. Um, but 
I've heard other complaints about uh, uh, plot holes or a lack of of rules for uh, Pennywise's character, um, but for things that we get into in spoilers, those didn't bo bother me. Um, the only thing that really bugged me about this was whenever sometimes the kids just made decisions that made no sense to me. But uh, even whenever it didn't line up intellectually, it did always line up emotionally. Yeah, so uh, I think I just... I would encourage... To me, this movie is about... Would you say this is as scary or scarier than Stranger Things? I'd say it's a little scarier, but not by much. That was my impression, too. Yeah. Like, it really... Really? Yeah. Yeah. It really was not as scary as I thought it would be. Um, and... I feel like this is a lie. I, <laughs> I know. I don't believe it. I'm not buying it for a second. I feel like you're trying to Pennywise me into <laughs> the train right now. Um, I can tell you all the details of why this isn't scary if you'll just look at my chart here in the sewer. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, it's it really was... Like, it made a very intentional decision to focus on these kids and to focus on these characters because it knew that that's what grounded it. And in so doing, it didn't spend as much time on Pennywise, the, the horror villain, as I thought it was going to. It did spend plenty of time, and there were plenty of scares, but um, it was not as intense as I expected. And especially whenever I think back on some of the moments, especially in the Upside Down and with the um, Demogorgon from Stranger Things, like, it's... It's not quite that, I mean, I guess you know, you can tell from the get-go that uh, Pennywise is a intentionally evil and malevolent character, um, whereas with the Demogorgon, you don't quite know what its deal is for a while, other than that it's scary. Um, so there is that that's adding extra ominousness to it, but the majority of this movie is spent in, like, the sunlight <laughs> um yeah. and so i i think if you're out there and you have seen a handful of scary movies but it's not typically your thing i think this is definitely worth seeing um i'm not trying to lull you lucas or sandra into seeing this i think it may be out of y'all's uh interest wheelhouse but um if someone else is out there that is kind of into horror movies but they never like you know got into saw or the purge or any of that kind of thing um this is a movie that hits all the boxes for me because it really does have a plot it really does have an emotional core um and it's trying to do things that are pretty interesting as i kind of touched on before and don't want to get too specific and before spoilers uh the way that this world is constructed is a lot more uh interesting than i thought it would be so i'm i'm excited that it's greenlit for a sequel and i'm excited to see that i'm excited that they made this movie um, thinking it was very possible for this to be the only movie because I think it works well as a single movie, but I think it will be very enhanced by having a sequel. So, All right, let's talk spoilers. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. No, but I can guess. Spoilers! Remember, you wanted this. Okay, first... I have read the Wikipedia page for both the book and the movie. So first question, let's talk about this yep. whole child orgy thing. Oh, man. I, we, we were intentionally I, not going to talk about when, that. Last time I got out of the movie, I, I went up to him and said, I told him about it. And I was like, I'm not going to bring it up in the podcast. Oh, no, <laughs> we're bringing uh, it up. Yeah, I want to hear about this. I don't yeah, feel equipped to, to talk about it. That's some weird ass shit, man. 
Did yeah. it make it into the movie? No. No, very not. No. Very not. Okay, that was my big question. Was, no. was did it make it? Okay, so, tell me about I, what this is in the book. <laughs> <laughs> so I... I. It's just a classic child orgy, Sandra. Come on. Yeah. I what, what, how are we classifying children? What is the age range of these characters? They're like 11, right? 12, it's really yeah. creepy. Yeah. 11 to 12 year olds. Really, okay. They're like yeah. little gross, Stephen age. King. Yeah, there's no need to, uh, to get defensive. I'm not going to try to defend it. So I, the way I read this book, I read it over the course of what, four weeks, which it's like 1150 pages. I was, I had a deadline in my mind for when I wanted to see the movie. Yeah. So the Saturday before we saw it, um, I'm on my porch. I'm I knocked out probably like 150 pages. It's towards the end of the book. And it is this group of kids who have grown super close. Um, and they, they, King alludes to this connection that they have several times where it's, it's bigger than just, you know, they are connected. Um, he goes really astral plane with a handful of things and kind of alludes to it with the connection that these kids have. Um, anyway, when they escape Pennywise out of the sewers, the female, the girl of the group, Beverly, she can sense that the group is drifting apart. And for that reason, decides, well, she says, she realizes that uh, she's all of their first love, uh, loves, something like that. Oh, And um, invites yeah. them all to, uh, you know. Yeah. So, so it is an all-out orgy in the book, right? Well, pretty much. It's not, so They just, is, like, take turns? What's the... They, they do. They do. <laughs> um, if y'all yeah. could see the look on my face right now. I know. Same here. I cannot believe it is, that this I is a real be, well, thing. My, my jaw was on the pavement whenever Chris was telling me this after the movie. And I think, to me, it sounds like that was just... It sounds like that's Stephen King being, like, messed up in very real parts in his head and just being like, if I was 12... I remember the one girl who was friends with all of us in my friend group, and that would have been awesome. Just like, it's so raw. It's so creepy and the, weird. So I this this scene is only three pages of 1150, right? And I loved the 1147 other pages of the book. <laughs> um, these three that I read, I read them and immediately texted the one friend I, I know who has read this, like asking him, like, I, I had to talk to somebody about it, and I'm not about to yeah. talk to my wife about it. And, <laughs> um, so he sends me this article, and he's like, I disagree with this point, but it's a good point. that, And I, I would agree with his point, where the, the best expl- explanation I've heard is that it's symbolic in nature, because the whole book and the, and the whole film is really about holding on to your childhood, and it's scary to become an adult, and the... So that scene was very symbolic in that nature, like it was a rite of passage almost. What I would argue is that what they just went through, fighting off, um, you know, this being, um, yeah. would have been more of a rite of passage to become an adult to realize how brave you are. Plus, the scene that is the, in the book, that is in the book, and that is in the movie. Um, at the end of all of this, they cut their hands uh, with a coke, a broken coke bottle, and make a bond and a promise that if this it ever comes back that they would come and defend the city so 
there are so things is, in the book. Is, is the sequel just going to be them getting tetanus and dying? <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's what I'm excited. Maybe for. he's maybe they start off the sequel with the, with the <laughs> Um Yeah, it's a really it's very unfortunate. I yeah, I haven't. I, think, I haven't heard an argument that I agree with. I don't think I ever will. Here, yeah. Here's my my horror of hearing this, you know, just your version of how this goes down in the book, re- mostly stems from the fact that it's just, like, the one girl in the group. And that just, like, the gender inequality, I think, is, like, the hardest part of that to swallow. Um, so that leads me to talk want to think about her role in the movie and i want to know what y'all thought of that and how it played out i thought she was the best character in the movie um she was the most fully realized of everyone um you get to know uh i think there's her and then there's uh bill played by Jaden lieber i think is how you pronounce his last name and bill's kind of the main character his brother is the one that dies in the opening scene and so you know about... Very gory death. Very gory death. It's just like in the first five minutes, like, oh, this is this movie's rated R. Um, but um, after that happens, he's kind of the main character. And then the other person who they give you the most backstory on, which, as I said, I think they do a great job of giving everybody a good amount of black backstory and letting their backstory breathe. But I think her story uh, is the one that uh, is the most fleshed out. She's, like, shown to be a very... Uh, uh, generous and compassionate and uh, smart and brave character. And um, she is somebody who is, at school, she's called a, a slut and, like, everyone's saying that she slept with all these guys and all this stuff and she didn't and she meets up with these guys and she's like, I didn't do that. Um, Maybe that was... So that wasn't friends. in the book. Maybe that was an allusion to... Oh, man. I don't. I haven't even thought about that, but... Man, I yeah. sure hope not. <laughs> um, just like, or maybe it was Let's them just... saying, like, people may be saying this about her as a character, but it's not it's true. A, it's like it's... a rejection of yeah, uh, that from exactly. the character. That's, I would, I'd be interested in that. <laughs> I'm going to choose to believe that. I like that, yeah. too. Going to believe that. Um, but she also, um, you find out through the movie that uh, her father is sexually abusive. Um, they don't show anything explicitly, thankfully, but it's Jeez. it's very, like... She is a very strong character and has, uh, like, ultimately gets away from her dad in this movie. Um, but the character of her dad is there's like some bullies. There's one main bully, but and some bullies generally that are very scary. And there's the character of her dad, and her dad is the scariest character in this movie, like scarier than Pennywise for sure. Um, the the first time you see them on the same screen together. You can tell what's up, and you can see how horrifying it is. Um, and it makes the fact that she is such a uh, a, a kind um, person to all of these kind of marginalized kids at her school um, all the more meaningful. Um, like, she would have every reason to have a chip on her shoulder, but instead she's just, like, a, an extremely altruistic character. Um so I when it that's part of why I was so surprised when I found this out because I had, had no context for it going into it I was like really because that does not seem in character for her for like the way she's portrayed on screen um, she at one point the main character Bill 
in the movie is said to have like been in a like third grade play with her where he, they like did a stage kiss and so he's like kind of had a thing for her since then and so they get kind of flirty for a minute but then there's another kid uh who his name's ben in the movie played by jeremy ray taylor um and he's like the fat kid in the group and he also has feelings for her because she's very kind to him and he like likes new kid on, kids on the block and is just like all these things that other kids can make fun of him for and she on the last day of school grabs his yearbook and signs it and she's the only signature in his book and is just like super nice to him and whenever and he writes her a secret admirer letter and whenever she finds out that he's the one who wrote the secret admirer letter she is he's the one that she shows affection towards and so she's shown to be unshallow she's shown to be like i just like i thought she was a great character and i really like the perspective that they were intentionally rejecting the weird terrible stuff in the book when they were <laughs> changing her her spot mm -hmm. and the a lot of this story they don't know her well when this story starts right and so a lot of it is there's this group of young boys who are crass and they joke about you know each other's a lot of your mom jokes in yeah. the film yeah uh delivered really well by uh our stranger things guy finn wolfhard um but anyway they this group comes together and she enters this group and has to interact with this group of 12 year old boys um who really don't change who they are as far as that uh that adolescence goes um they don't grow out of it um and so it, there's some interesting dynamics within that, too. But it would have been nice to see a few more strong female characters. But she um, and the actress who played her did really, really well in it as well. But they wrote her character really well for the film. Nice. Yeah. Um, so the one thing I wanted to talk about, because I've been hearing a lot of criticism for this film as far as, like, uh, there were plot holes and there were things like you don't know the rules of the villain and all that stuff. From what I understand, like... Chris, this the sequel. This is only half the book, and the sequel is going to be them as adults. Whereas in the book, they jump back and forth. Um, the movie ad adaptation chose to do uh, chronological chunks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, and I've I uh, mentioned in an interview with the director I listened to, and he kept drilling this point home that he this is the second half of the first movie. It's not a sequel. The one that's upcoming. Yeah. So he's not even viewing it as movie one, movie two. He's viewing yeah, it as Yeah, it's more like one. chapter one, chapter two. Yeah, exactly. And the book does oscillate back and forth um, right. between the past and present day where they do come back as adults because really they only wounded this creature the first time. That's Chris, if you were making this movie, would you have done it as one movie or split it up like this? I would have split it up. Okay. I cool. in, in theory, it was it's easy to have the knee-jerk reaction and you see some of the choices that were made and well that's not how it was in the book especially after reading it so closely to seeing the movie mm -hmm. but after thinking of it for a while it it makes the most sense it allows you to really meet these characters and understand these characters and care for them you your heart breaks when um Lawson mentioned that the the chubby kid um has no signatures in his yearbook and that breaks your heart and endears you to him forever um, mm -hmm. so yeah having the ability to live with these characters while they're 12 years old and learning to grow up 
it's only going to make it's it's going to make that second film resonate so much more emotionally. Yeah, I totally agree. And all of the it really worked for me in this that I never knew what Pennywise was capable of. I never knew why he was because sometimes they would get into this so what I was talking about earlier is they find out that the city's been around forever and that there's like uh, all these terrible things that have happened to the town every couple of decades and it all centers around this well and so then they find out where the well is and it's in this like haunted house like abandoned house Um, and so when that happens Bill's like I'm gonna go in this house because my brother died and I can't face the fact that I have to go home and my brother's not there. But they just go into the house with nothing, with like the shirt on their back. And like, <laughs> you guys are going to die. You should definitely die. And none of them did. And it was kind of because Pennywise seemed to just be like scaring them, just like screwing with them. And I didn't know what the deal was there. And so I didn't ever know when the clown was like able to or interested in uh, killing somebody or when it was interested in yeah. scaring somebody or what the deal was. Also, didn't know what Pennywise was, whether Pennywise was a uh, was a clown that could change forms or was something else that normally takes the form of a clown. Uh, also, where did it come from? Is it a hallucination? Like, parents can't see it, but only kids can. Um... Like, it was all pretty up in the air, but I think it really worked because it was kind of like these kids are just seeing all this stuff happen and they have not organized it in their head yet. Like, they don't have their heads wrapped around, how is this working or what's what does this mean or what if he does this, what's the ability? And so I think that makes sense for it to be, it makes it really scary and unpredictable for this film. And then the next film is one where they come back as adults and they... I guess are taking it on once and for all and it makes sense to me for that to be the movie where they figure it all out they're like oh this yeah. is the key to whatever and if they don't in that movie I think it will retroactively uh, decrease my opinion of this movie and how it was put together but from everything I understand it's it's gonna like really tie up in the next one so awesome. I'm curious if y'all have any ideas or desires for casting for the second movie. Oh man. That's one of the things that I love about how why they did all eight kids and decided to do an entire movie about it was there's no way you could have kept up with eight characters jumping back and forth through time over and over and like felt an emotional connection to them. But now, having spent all this time with all these kids, I'm stoked to see what they're like as adults. And I'm going to, like, get how they got there. And I'm really interested to see who they cast because of the qualities that I've seen in people so far. Um, But off the top of my head, I don't have any. Chris, do you have any? Yeah, I've thought about this a little bit. And I haven't put a ton of... (laughs) I I haven't gotten the full cast uh, fleshed out. But in the book, so Bill, even though he is the leader, um, as an adult, he's bald. And he loses his hair. And that's... uh, that's like a thing when they all come back. You know, Big Bill has lost all his hair. It's kind of funny. And as somebody who doesn't have any hair, um, I found, you know, I just connected with him. <laughs> but um, I would love to see, uh, you know, as a leading figure, uh, Corey Stoll. 
in this role. Ugh, I think I adore oh, wow. Corey Stoll. I think with do like when I was reading the book, that's who I imagined um, in Adult Bill's role. That would be awesome. And I've I've seen him in a handful of things. I think he's got the chops to pull it off. Um, I think for Beverly, she's a so she's a redhead and was a redhead in the film, redhead in the book. Um, so Andy Machete, who he his first film, uh, Mama, Mama, starred Jessica Chastain. Yeah. And so I think there might be, like, that's a very real possibility um, for I, her to play adult Bev. She's the only person who I was thinking about, like, whenever I saw her as an actress, like, she looks kind of like a young Jessica Chastain. Yeah, yeah. Which maybe redheads get typecast together too much, like, her nose looks nothing like her nose. But they wouldn't know. cast, like, Isla Fisher. Right, that's yeah, true, that's true. And plus, I think Chastain, she has... A, an incredible range. Um, not that Isla Fisher doesn't, but I've just seen Chastain play the badass. I've seen her play more of a victimized character. I've seen her play, you know, a variety of different things and she can do it all. I'm hearing great things about Molly's game um, and her (laughs) performance in that. And so she'll, if that does as well as I think it will, she'll be on a roll. And yeah. I, not that I want this movie to change in tone, but based on the casting you have put out, I want to see chapter two already. So <laughs> just two, just two. You only need the top two build. I know, right? Man, <laughs> That's it. All right. First and second on the casting. And I guess, yeah. uh, you know, Bill Skarsgård plays Pennywise in the first film. Mm-hmm. It makes sense for him to come back. Um, yeah. That's the, uh, yeah. Pennywise um, in the second. But, you know, Lucas, that, that's a good point that if the, if they put together a cast that was really exciting for me for this second film, um, that could be the thing to get me to watch the first one. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I don't, the more I say it, I think no, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, no guarantees. I'm just saying, yeah, if, if someone like Corey Stoll, who I adored is starring in a movie, um, yeah, that's, that might get me there. I know there's been a lot of talk, Chris, about, um, I've just seen on the internet, about casting the actors that played the kids in the original movie, um, because they're <laughs> now of the proper age to be the adults. Um, I don't know if you have I'd any put, opinions on that. That would put Seth Green as Richie. Yeah. yeah. He played Richie um, in the original. I think Andy Samberg would be a great Richie. Like yeah. if he wanted to take a, it may be kind of like the floppy hair. He look, they look kind of alike, but I think he would be. It would be great to see him kind of take a dramatic turn in that. I don't. I also don't know what his character is like as an adult. Yeah. Like I hear that all these characters change a lot um, as they grow older. So it would be interesting. Just like think, real life. Ben gets, <laughs> ben gets ripped. Oh. Spoiler. This is spoiler space, right? Ben gets wow, ripped. Yeah. <laughs> oh man well one of the things that's great about this movie though is it made i mean so much money and there are no big names in it like even bill skarsgård isn't a huge commodity um it's got a big last name that's true that's true (laughs) yeah emmy award-winning last name (laughs) yeah um but i like i could really see because this movie did so well and because so many people liked it and attracting some of that great talent that you're talking about but it could be that they just, like, that they cast kind of unknowns. Because that's a lot of what worked in this movie was that so many of these kids were unknown because I was seeing them for the first time and really believing it was them. 
Yeah, um, but that's so much easier to do with kids than it is in adults. Like, when's the last sure time not. you watched a movie where the entire cast was full of adults that you didn't know who they were? Yeah, the I mean, you could do is... it, though, with this because it's a sequel. That's true. It's going to get the butts in the seats. Yeah, they could get away with it. So I, I think we'll the see. closest to that I've seen is American Honey, and that's I knew I still knew two of the main actors. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Jessica Chastain and a bunch of randos. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> she could anchor it. That would be enough. No oh question. yeah. Okay, so the thing I was most interested in for this dynamic of two of us having seen it and two of us not is. Did you guys watch the trailer? Yeah, a million times. Because I I watched the the movies all summer long, and they played it all the time. Okay, so do you have any questions based on the trailer of things that seem scary and you want to know how it turned out? Because we can help you out. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, how does a little kid get murdered at the beginning? Oh, boy. (laughs) So he goes over to the storm drain. Well, (laughs) just hanging out. (laughs) Just hanging out. Well, no. I know I know his boat goes down there. He goes over to get it. The clown's in there. Yeah, we see that my boat. in the trailer. Yeah. 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 So they have an extended conversation, which is amazing dialogue and one of the creepier scenes from the whole thing. Yeah. There's a there's a point. So their their conversation seems fine for like a minute or two. And then there's a point in it where the facial expression shifts like ever so slightly. And even though he's been talking to some a clown in a drain, everything seemed okay. And after that shift, it just becomes so uneasy. I think his eye, one of his eyes even starts to stray. Yeah. And, like, you can just tell that something's off. And as Georgie reaches for the boat that Pennywise is holding, Pennywise uh, unhinges his jaw and (laughs) out come just a mouthful of teeth. And he bites his arm clean off. The whole whole arm bites it off. And And then... (laughs) And uh, so then he screams because he's missing an arm, and uh, he's five. It's a this is a five year old yeah kid five year old yeah. kid five year old actor very convincing job and so he starts he falls he pulls backwards obviously and falls back on his back and then starts crawling away on all threes and um, mm. is like leaving this trail of blood behind him and then Pennywise's arm reaches out and, like, extends super long and grabs him and yanks him in. Into the drain. Into the drain. And that's as much as you see. Um, You don't see him, like, getting eaten. But you see his whole arm getting eaten off. You see a child with a missing arm. It's pretty horrific. Um, Yeah. It was a lot. That's the first... That scene happens in the first ten pages of the book. Um, I'm glad they kept it for the first scene in the movie. And it really sets the tone where really anything can happen. Yeah. Where you, I never thought I would see that sort of violence with a, with a five-year-old in yeah. a film. And they yeah. do it in a way that it is shock value, um, but I think it's to set the tone that really anything, again, like who knows the rules of this creature, anything can happen. Yeah, it makes it Does really Does anybody violent. else that we care about die in this movie? Uh... You said all the main characters come out. And so if we just lose Georgie and then no one else dies, I feel like that's not great. There's a two bullies die. Um, In the book that the bully who goes into the sewers and King focuses on him for about 10 pages. And that is the scariest part of the book. Oh, this kid. um, He's like the weird kid 
in school who and there's a lot of weird kid there's it's the losers club but he is like a weird <laughs> kid who like keeps um keeps like flies in a pencil box and he finds an old refrigerator in a dump and he puts animals in there oh and just leaves them yeah it was okay. like the, the most creeped out i've been Ooh. um and he is one of these bullies that is chasing is chasing the kids and the some of the more scary parts of the book are have to do with the, the dynamic between the Losers Club and the bullies, the Bowers gang, and just that real-life horror of being chased. Yeah. Okay. So the bullies die, but nobody we actually, <laughs> like, like Right, and dies. the bullies get, like, like Chris is saying, the bullies get really scary, and so whenever they do die, you just feel, like, this huge sense of relief. Yeah. Here's the, let me tell you the stuff from the trailer that made me go, Mm-mm, not seeing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the scene where there's like the little boy and he's in the basement and it's water and he starts talking like the yep. clown. Yep, oh, yeah. Yep. That scene. Float too. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, nope, not, not happy about that. Um, the scene where they're at a house and there's a door and there's a bunch of arms coming out of the door. Yeah. Yeah, not into that. So the story behind those is um, that is kind of when it goes around and shows Pennywise takes the form of whatever you're most afraid of. And so all these kids have different things that they're scared of. There's one kid who is, um, which I really related to, he just like, there's a painting in his dad's office that's kind of abstract and the lady in it is... It's like a woman in the painting, but it's kind of weird and like throwing off a Slender Man vibe. Yeah, yeah. kind of like a that kind of a of a painting. And I've seen those kind of things, and like when you're a kid, that can really freak you out. And so he sees that painting, and every time he walks by it, it scares him. And so you see, uh, so Pennywise takes the form of that woman as like a real creature whenever he's around him. So whenever you're, so the thing that um, Bill is most scared of is losing his brother and so his brother so pennywise uses his brother as like the lure to try to get him to come in so that's the first time he sees him but it in the movie it goes pretty quick so like that happens and you're scared and you're freaked at what's happening but then pretty quick you can tell it's not him and and it's over the the hands thing is um the character's name is mike played by chosen jacobs and he, uh, he, his parents were in a, a fire, and they couldn't get out of the room. Oh, see, um, that's right. Oh, no. Mm-mm. Yeah, it didn't show that. <laughs> but, but I see the burned hands. That's true. You do see the yeah. burned hands. Yeah. That's what scares them. So Pennywise is like um, like a Bogart from Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, basically. It's Bogart. But Bogart, thank you. Lucas? No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm serious. There is, that's, I, I don't know which, would it, which way to say it. He's a Humphrey. No, I, I, I was... I was joking. I've absolutely oh, okay. what, which way it is. I, I just wanted to contradict you. Okay. I haven't it's, done that in a yeah. while. So. Whichever pronunciation is scariest, that's yeah. what it becomes. Yeah. There yeah. is a there is a bit of origin, Pennywise origin in the book, but I think it will be explained in the sequel. So even though this is spoiler space, yeah. I think it could spoil. Yeah, it leave the sequel film. alone. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the thing that interested me most about this movie, and like was seeing. Like, you know how in the trailer it always says, you, we all float down here, or, like, you'll float too, all that kind of stuff? Um, yeah. When they get down to, like, Pennywise's lair, there's literally, like, people floating. Like, people f- not, like, in the water. They're, like, floating up in the air, going up towards 
the ceiling of this like sewer layer and I don't know why. The movie ends without you knowing why that happens. And there's at some point where there's one point where Pennywise has grabbed one of the kids and it looks like you think is gonna like eat him, what's gonna happen? And he like unhinges his jaw, but then it's like unhinging his whole face. And then inside there's like these uh, yellow glowing lights that are weird. The dead lights. Okay, yeah, I don't know what that is, so please don't spoil, because that's just like... So anyway, all this stuff's happening, you're like, oh, this is very... Like, there's something supernatural about what's going on. Like, he seems like an alien or some kind of interdimensional being. Like, it, it gave me a very Stranger Things vibe. And I was just expecting it to be like, oh, uh, a scary clown that's that's scary, and he goes around scaring kids, and he's scary. You know? And so, like, it's so much more than that, and it's, it's a log line. Yeah, <laughs> the log line. Scaring kids, it is scary. <laughs> but it's the fact that it's more than that and that um, this next movie promises to, like, really go into something that seems really like a really trippy way to explain all that is I'm, I'm into it. Or I'm intrigued, at least. Like I mentioned earlier, so many of like the aesthetics of this movie do seem cool and appealing to me, um, especially the look of Pennywise. And I would just I would definitely you're into murder clown. No, I just love like the makeup. I love like the iconic red balloon. Um, the shot in the trailer where like you just see the the lips and his rest of his face is hiding behind the red mm-hmm. balloons. I think it's like a gorgeous piece of imagery. Um, I would love this movie if it was like a mellow, spooky movie. It's just like <laughs> Pennywise like lurking around, creepy. you know. Like I would be very into that. Um, but because it's more classically terrifying, um, I'm I'm a little less. I'm more. I'm a little more apprehensive. The yeah. cinematography in this is some of the best. It might be the best cinematography I've seen in a horror film. I would agree. It's this is a beautiful movie all the way through. Yeah. You know what might work perfect for you guys? I bet it's going to take a while, but I bet if you wait like seven or eight years, this movie's going to be on TBS or more likely TNT or FX. And if you watch it on one of those, you'll be able to see it without it having all of the R-rated stuff in it. They'll edit the clown completely out. Yeah. (laughs) It's a a coming-of-age story. (laughs) Where everyone's, uh, they start getting scared. I mean, I do love coming-of-age stories. (laughs) <laughs> I'll just download it and just skim through it. That's mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. Not even watch it, just like skim through the frames and be like, all right, I'm good. Okay, that kind of happens and then that may be all right at the end. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, that, it's, for me, movies, scary movies like this, if I see the trailer for it, seeing it is the best antidote. I know I'm kind of weird in that way, but like, honestly, whenever I saw the movie and all the scenes from the trailers, I got to see the whole scene that it was in and see that everyone ended up okay like no one died. I was like, oh, well, that was scary. But they but made some it of them did die, Lawson. Those were the bullies, and they were mean. And Georgie. Well, and Georgie, that's true. Mm. Poor Georgie. Yeah, that's really on him for trusting a stranger. That's actually true. I'll buy that. Well, I think that about does it for us. Uh, if you had any additional thoughts or questions or uh, just generally want to keep the conversation going, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at feelingitpod. Um, you can also reach out to any of us individually on Twitter. Um, Lucas, where can people find you? Um, you can find me everywhere on the internet at Lucas and Stuff. You can find me on all platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. 
Chris, do you want to sure. shout it out? Find me on Instagram and Twitter at cjardieu, C-J-A-R-D-I-E-U. I'm not there yet with the Snapchat sharing it to public, so not everybody can see my 3D bitmojis yet. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't know mm. how you do, like, shout out your Snapchat name, but I haven't done that either. I don't know if it's connected to the same thing. Um, don't follow me on Snapchat. It's not worth it. Yeah, right? <laughs> Uh, and you can find me at Lawson West on all social platforms as well. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Adios. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 